0: Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to ToledoCalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. I was listening to an audio book the other day and I had was, been was listening to it in and out of the car and out and about, and I got to that point where I was like, I'm almost done with this thing. There was like 20 minutes left and I'm like, I'm finishing this thing today. Anybody? Like, I'm getting this thing done. So I got home. Nobody's at the house. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to take Samson for a walk. And I finished listening to this thing. This would be great. So I put, put the earbuds in. And I put the dog on the leash. And I'm into my story. And we're just kind of walking down the street. Man, we're just kind of moving. We're going. I've got this going on in my ears. And it's happening. all of a sudden, out of the corner of my eye, and I'm down at the end of my street. I don't know a whole lot of people that don't know the other end of the street. I get down there on the other end of the street, and there's a guy like standing right there. And I kind of turn and look at him, and he goes, <laughs> I can't hear him, because I have my earbuds in. <laughs> and in that moment, I'm like, oh, You know, it's just totally kind of freaked out. His little guy was standing there in the yard with a, with a golf club. He was just kind of like three or four years old hitting a golf, but I'm just like freaked out. It's like, the man I don't know and a kid with a golf club. Like, you know, it's just like, because caught me totally off guard, and he just kind of looks at me, and he's like, hey. Ooh, and just kind of, you know, looks the other way, like, what's wrong with this guy? I was totally missing out on the real life that was around me because I was so focused on the voices in my head. And that's what this series is all about. How do we deal with those voices, those thoughts, those emotions? Because so many times, if we don't deal in the right way with the voices in our head, it's going to hinder us from being effective with the rest of the real world around us. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter three today. Genesis chapter three, we're gonna pick up where we left off last week. Last week we, we looked at the classic account in scripture of uh, what so many times theologically we refer to as the fall of man. When Adam and Eve were in the garden of Eden and the serpent appeared and uh, enticed Eve to eat of the fruit, she gave it to Adam, he ate as well. And we started talking last week about what's the right way to think? Like how do we think about our thinking. We ask four questions. The first one, where is this thought coming from? The second, is this thought true? The third, who is in control here? Am I controlling my thoughts or are my thoughts controlling me? And the fourth one, where's this going? Like if I stay on this thought, where's it going to go? We talked about this this whole story of how how the serpent tempts Eve. She eats the fruit and she gives some to Adam. Adam eats it. And then this happens, verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? interesting story, some fascinating things that are here. One, and we'll, we'll look at this a little bit more, but it's interesting that all of a sudden now they look at each other and they go, hey, we're naked and we need to do something about this. Actually, what the serpent told Eve would happen did happen. The serpent said, if you eat of the fruit, your eyes are gonna be open. And they thought it would be a good thing, but what it was was not what they bargained for. And so they make clothing out of fig leaves to cover over their nakedness. And then all of a sudden they hear the sound of God showing up. When you read this, especially if you read it from, from start to finish, chapters 1, 2, and 3, you get the feeling that this is not maybe an unusual occurrence, that God would come and he would spend time with Adam and Eve, that maybe even at this time of day, this was, this was normal for him to do. So God shows up, but this time is different because this time it says that they hide from him. They, they go behind the trees that are there in the garden and they try to hide from him. Let me just say this, if you want to get the kids in the neighborhood together and play hide and seek... God is a terrible person to play hide-and-seek with, right? He knows, you ever ever played hide-and-seek like with a little kid who like, they they hide behind the curtains and they think you'll never see me but their toes are hanging out, do you know what I mean? Well, God looks, He, he doesn't ask the question, where are you? He knows where they are. He sees the fig leaves hanging out from behind the tree, right? He knows exactly where they're at. He knows exactly why they're there. So it's interesting that he asks this question. If you read through the rest of this chapter, you'll see, and we'll, we'll look at these questions today, before God ever says a word to them about what he already knew had happened, he asks them four questions. God doesn't ask questions because he needs answers. Usually when God asks questions, it's because we need answers. <laughs> He's asking us a question, so we'll think about the place where we find ourselves. God asks them, where are you? And Adam's answer in verse 10 is where we'll we'll spend our time today. Genesis chapter 3, verse 10. Adam answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. We learn a lot from his answer because he unpacks so much of what's happening and what's going on here. If you remember last week, one of the things that, that we talked about when we were talking about our thinking is that our struggles often come from wrong thinking about ourselves and wrong thinking about God that when we when we have Struggles with our thoughts, with our emotions, with, with those voices in our head. So many times our struggles come because we have wrong thinking either about ourselves or about God. Last week we talked quite a bit about how, how that story reflected some of the wrong thinking we can have about God. Today we're going to look a little bit more at wrong thinking about ourselves. And, and looking at Adam's answer there, when he said, Well, I heard you, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid When he says that, he's showing us four voices we all hear, that from time to time, and I'm going to guarantee that at some time, all of us have heard these voices. Today, we're going to look at four voices we all hear, four voices we all wrestle with at some point. It's a part of, I think, our human condition. We see them all in Adam's answer. So let's work through them. The first one, number one, is the voice we'll call guilt. Number one is guilt. What's the first thing Adam says? God says, where are you? And Adam says, well, I heard you in the garden. Not the first time he's heard him in the garden, but this time it's different. This time he's alarmed. This time he has to do something different because he's guilty, because he sinned. God's presence was enough just to stir up that guilt in Adam. Guilt comes from the things that we've done. When We know there's been something that we've done that's wrong. That's when sin is committed, and that's when guilt comes in. I read a story this week about a pastor who was out walking the neighborhood around his church, and as he was, was walking the neighborhood, he looked over and he saw a little guy who was up on a porch of a house, and he was like standing up on tiptoes and trying to ring the doorbell. He was, he was like stretching, reaching for the doorbell. And the pastor thought, oh, that poor little guy must be locked out of his house. The pastor just walked up on the porch, didn't know the little guy, just kind of smiles at him, leans over and rings the doorbell for him, looks over at the little guy and says, okay, buddy, now what do we do? And the guy looks at him and he goes, now we run. And he took off. <laughs> How's that for a pastor? Wait till that door opens, you'll have a little bit of guilt. If I, if I had to try to get you to think about that, that emotion of guilt, for many of us, the common universal experience that, that you might have had is that moment when you look in the rearview mirror and you see the flashing lights behind you. Anybody? <laughs> right? There's that moment where you go... I'm busted, right? Some of you are trying to be so holy right now. (laughs) It's public records, we can find out, okay? Right, there's that moment where it's just, oh man. I remember so clearly the very first time I ever saw those lights and I was driving. 18 years old, was going to Central Bible College in Springfield, Missouri. We were driving back from a, from a fall break. And as we were driving, we had just got through St. Louis, I-44 West. There's this spot where there's this like long decline that kind of just, you can look out and you can see it. And I can remember it so well. It was late at night. We were hurrying and trying to get back. There's only three hours left. We can do this. Let's move. I'm just kind of, I'm pushing that Oldsmobile to its limits. And I see those lights behind me. I, I can still very clearly in my mind see the name on that highway patrolman's name tag. I remember him coming up. He was an agent of grace to me that night. (laughs) Gave me a warning because I think he saw how pale I was, right? (laughs) Because of all the guilt that had come. But I can tell you this. I've probably driven that stretch of road 20, 30 times in my life since then. And there's not a time I don't move through that area of I-44 West outside of St. Louis, Missouri, that I don't think about those lights flashing behind me But I don't have that feeling because I I was, (laughs) he was in the right to pull me over. You know what I feel in that moment? That guilt still comes back. What do you do when the guilt comes crashing in? Well, we read this story, I think we see three responses to guilt. Let me just show you these real quick. Here's, Here's the first one that happens so many times guilt can lead to blame. One of the responses we often have to guilt is that guilt can lead to blame. God says to Adam, where are you? Adam says, well, I hid God because I heard you because he's guilty, and this is what God says, verse 11 of Genesis chapter three. And God said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, watch this answer, don't get ahead of me. The woman you put here with me. She gave me some fruit from the tree. Uh, I ate it. Right? That's what he says to God. What do we do so many times when we're guilty? Our natural response is to pass off blame. Go back one chapter, right? God looks at Adam, pathetic Adam, and says, you know what? It's not good for man to be... Anybody? Anybody? <laughs> alone. He says, I'll make a helper for him. He needs somebody. This this dude's going to need somebody to be with him. It's not good for man to be alone. So if you read the story, you know, he takes the rib and he makes Eve out of the, the rib of Adam. And Adam looks at her and he goes, whoa, man. And that's how she got her name right in that moment, right? <laughs> Get it? Like, so then... It's not good for me to be alone. Then, man, I like her. Now, it's that woman's fault, home wrecker. right? That's what he's, she's going to eat us out of house and home. That's what he's thinking. Did you get that? Okay, all right, all right. Then you know what he does? He doesn't just blame her. Who's next? Anybody see it? God. He goes right to God from there. It's the woman you gave me. I didn't ask for her. You thought I needed her. Now, look at what she's done to us all. (laughs) It's your fault. How many times do we do that? We get in that moment, and that person that we should love or care for the most is the first one in our crosshairs. How many times do we want to blame God? We we don't just blame, Watch, watch what happens next. Guilt can lead to blame. But guilt can lead to rationalization as well, right? Where we just kind try of to, try to figure it out. We're, we're going to get rational, but let's rationalize this. Genesis chapter 3, verse 13. Now God switches from Adam, and then the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, oh, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Yeah, I did it, but here's why. Like, I was deceived. I was listening to a Preacher this week, and one of the things he was talking about this idea of rationalization, and he said, This to rationalize is to tell ourselves rational lies. (laughs) Isn't that good? You know who you lie to the most in life? Yourself, right? And when you do that, you say, Look, I, I know I did this, but here's why it's rational. Here's why this makes sense. When I rationalize, I'm telling myself, rational lies, and these two things, this casting the blame, this rationalizing, it comes in all kinds of different places. Some of it is we just, we like to pass the buck, right? There was an insurance company that listed some of the excuses that people gave for the accidents that they had. One of them read, an invisible car came out of nowhere, struck my car and vanished. Here's another one, the other car collided with mine without warning me of its intention. Well, yeah, (laughs) well, it's an accident. But if I can rationalize this thing, sometimes, more seriously, we look at circumstances. And when the student cheats on the test, they rationalize that God's to blame for giving them a difficult professor and a busy schedule. When the thief steals something, they they blame life and God for the stealing and say, God, you know my weakness. Why would you allow me to be in a place with that thing that I wanted so badly? Consider the adulterous person who looks at the ingredients that led to their sin it says, well, my depression and my poor self-image and that other person and that faraway place and that loneliness, like they walk through all those kinds of things. Many of us, we go, well, I'm just wired that way or that's, that's just the way God made me. And we're quick so many times to cast that blame and to rationalize. Those two excuses, those two things that we see in, in dealing with guilt from, from Adam and then from Eve are both not the, the best response to guilt. Here's a third response that you can have when you sense that guilt Guilt can lead to repentance. Like it can lead us to a place where we go, Yes, God, I did that and I was wrong. Like in its, its immediate form, we, we call it guilt. The healthy side of guilt is conviction, right? And there's times when conviction comes and shows us that what I did was not right. I need to, I need to square that away with God. Here's the good news Romans chapter 5, verse 18 says, Yes. Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, I like this, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Did you see what he said here? That guilt that comes in, those things where you wanna blame somebody else or you wanna rationalize it away, God has said your guilt can be dealt with because the guilt comes because of Adam's sin, but forgiveness becomes because of Christ's sin. That's why Jesus came. That's why he died on the cross. That's why we call him our savior because he can bring us forgiveness for our sins. That guilt does not have to stay with you, but it's what hit Adam. God said, where are you? Adam said, well, when I heard you, that guilt set in, and then he says, I was afraid. Here's the second voice that that we hear sometimes, all of us. First one is guilt. The second one is fear. Second voice that, that many times we'll hear in our head is fear. Because Adam says, when I heard you, I was afraid. A little later in this series, we'll we'll talk about this subject of of fear in a little bit more detail and talk a little bit more practically about how to to navigate it. But it's important that we talk about it because this is the very first time that fear is mentioned in the Bible. The first time you see this word afraid, and he's been afraid before. So it's interesting to to look at this and and we learn some things, because fear affects us, right? Anxiety and worry come into our lives because of fear. For some of you, you say, I, I feel sad. I've got, I've got this pressure in my life. And it comes in because of fear. There's these things we wrestle with because of fear. There's a mining town in the Ural Mountains of Russia that's called Brezhniki. And it's the, it's the mining of potash that happens there. 10% of all the potash in the world comes out of that region. And in this city of 150,000, because they've been mining there for nearly a century, they've actually tunneled at some point underneath the city itself so that the city sits on a foundation that isn't very secure. So when a spring sprung up in that mining area in 2006, this freshwater spring began to flow. And because of the, the, the type of soil that it was, many of the walls and pillars in the mine began to collapse And so in this city, you're basically on top of a collection of sinkholes. And they're trying to figure out, is it safe? What do we do? They're literally asking, do we have to move this city across the river because it's all built on a foundation that you you didn't see it coming, but over time, it was just eroding away at what was holding everything up. Can I tell you, when, when you spend too much time feeding your fear, that's exactly what happens in your soul that you erode away at the foundation of faith. You erode away at the things that so much of your life is built on. Look, we'll talk about fear more in this series. Let me show you just a couple things from this passage. The first one is this, that fear is the result of sin, right? Before any of this happened, was there fear in the garden? No, chapter one, chapter two, there's no fear. Chapter three, what we call the fall of man so many times, now you have fear in the garden, so fear is the result of sin. And it's important for you to know that fear is not from God, That when fear comes knocking on your door, that's not from God. Now, that seems a little uh, to be in conflict with some of the other things that we say. because Sometimes we talk about the fear of God. You ever heard that phrase? Well, the fear of God means to respect him, to honor him, to have a reverence, to recognize who he is, and then as a result, to live in light of that. That, That's what we would call a healthy fear. There's another kind of fear. Like if you're walking down the sidewalk and all of a sudden a lion jumps out at you here in northwest Ohio growls at you and shows its teeth, should you be afraid? Hallelujah, yes, be afraid. (laughs) Because God has built that into you to go, I think I should run the other way. That's a healthy fear. We might even call it wisdom. I'm not talking about the fear of God. I'm not talking about wise fear. I'm talking about when fear begins to move into our brains, sets up shop in there, takes up valuable real estate. When that happens and it's eroding the foundation of your life, that's not from God. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse seven, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. See, God's love that came to us brings fear out and brings peace in, brings his love in. And this is important to see that fear is not compatible with faith. But like if you wanna have faith, if you want that to be an important part of your life, fear is not compatible with faith. Many times people will say that fear is the opposite of faith. And maybe that's true. I just kinda wonder if they're not just two sides of the same coin. Right? Because fear is when you are believing for the worst, is it not? Fear is actually faith that a bad thing is gonna happen. I look down the road and I fear for the worst. Faith is believing for the best. God, I put my trust and confidence in you. I have faith in you. So you see where the two are not compatible. At some point, you have to decide, you have to choose between fear and you have to choose between faith. And this is where Adam finds himself, right? He he's hiding behind a tree. God says, where are you? Adam says, I heard you coming, and I was afraid, which leads us then to the third thing that's good for us to consider, third voice that we hear in our head. Number three is shame. This this is a big one. Adam says, I heard you. I was afraid because I was naked. There's a shame that comes. And this is new, right? Right? Like, if you go back to the very end of chapter two, just before all this happened that we read about last week, here's what we read Genesis chapter two, verse 25 Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Like, that shame wasn't there before. The nakedness isn't what causes the shame. When their eyes were open, when the sin came in, that's when that shame entered that. So we have to ask the question where does shame come from? Like, what brings it? Where does it come from? Let me give you a few thoughts when I look at this. I'm sure it comes from more different places than just this, but here's, here's a few things. One, I think there's shame in comparison, right? There's shame in comparison. When their eyes were opened, one of the things that struck Adam and Eve is they looked at each other and they went, oh, you're different from me. Like, like and I need to cover over those differences. And so many times, isn't that what we do That shame comes in my life when somehow through social media or when I walk into a room of new people or where people say something to me in a certain way or they point something out, when they isolate me in some way or I do that in my own mind, what usually drips all over me? Shame comes in in that moment. That's why comparison is such a tricky thing. There's shame in comparison and there's shame in choices, right? We make choices and as a result of those choices, Shame comes along. What happened? Eve ate the fruit. She gave some to Adam, and Adam ate the fruit. And first they have guilt, and then comes shame. Just so you know, when guilt moves in, he usually brings a roommate. Guilt and shame come together. And they they rent a room in, in, in your brain, and you pay them. And they take up an awful lot of real estate. And it becomes really unhealthy when guilt and shame are just camping out as voices in your head. Toledo made uh, national news this last week. Glass City Marathon happened. And, you know, when, when the runners run, there's a men's division and a women's division. And so the, the, the lady that won the women's division, as she was getting ready to cross the finish line, right, and they pull out a, a special tape for her. This is a big deal, right? So they pull out the tape so that she can run through, you know, arms up and, and run through the tape. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like that, that finish line thing. So as she's running and she's getting close, some other guy gets in front of her and runs through that tape in front of her. This guy does. And in the, 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 the article I saw... There was a picture, and he's like kind of running through, and she's behind him going like this. (laughs) And the blade interviewed this guy, and he said, I feel really bad. I think they said it was his first marathon. He says, look, when you get to that point, the only thing you're thinking about is putting one foot in front of the other. And he said, I had no idea what I had just done, and I feel really bad about that. You think that guy has some shame? (laughs) He's carrying some of that, I'm sure. What's interesting to me about that story, though, is there shame in that, whether you realize it or not, that choice that he made to run through that tape, but there's also shame in our experiences. I, I didn't just feel bad for that guy that he's, he's the title of this. I felt really bad for her because what he did robbed her of a certain experience, right? And as a result, there's a cloud that hangs over that. For many of us, the shame that comes to us is not because of anything that we did. The shame comes because of the experiences we had because of other people's choices. And look, I I know that in some ways Eve was rationalizing when she said to God, well, the serpent deceived me. But the reality is that is true, right? (laughs) She made a choice, but she got done wrong. That serpent told her lies and led her astray. We make our own choices, but for many of us, what happens to us is because of the experiences we've had because of the choices of others. And for many of us, whether it be because of abuse or because of lies or because of rejection or because of betrayal, there's very real shame that we carry because of the experiences we had based not on our choices, not what we did, but what someone else did. As we go through this series, I'm I'm sure that may come up again and can I tell you that God's heart breaks over that shame that has been placed on you by others? Shame comes to us in choices, and it comes to us in experiences. Sometimes shame comes in expectations. I'm sure that Adam and Eve looked at that whole thing and went, we let God down. He asked us to do one thing. And we messed it up. It's expectations we put on ourselves, expectations that come from others. Ultimately, shame is in disobedience. They broke God's law, and they experienced shame. For a lot of us, that's heavy. Can I give you a, a few tools? I want to share three scriptures with you, um, and, and I want to give you God's word on this. Like if this is something that, that, that maybe is a voice in your head, you might want to write these scriptures down. You might want to memorize them. You might want to come back to them. Look, I want you to have as a tool or a weapon for that shame, I want you to have the word of God because the word of God is living and active. And more than anything else that anybody may tell you or share with you, when you allow God's word to come in, it, does, it endures forever. It does something in our lives. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2 says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Look, I would encourage you, if guilt and shame and condemnation knock on your door quite a bit, memorize those two verses. Because just because they knock once and you read that verse doesn't mean they're not going to knock again. You know that, right? They are persistent knockers. They want to they get into those voices in your head and know this, that in that moment, you may need to come back and remind yourself that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus because what Jesus did set me free. How did that happen? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God did this for us. He did this for you. And look, I don't want to make this seem like it's easy answers. For some of us, there may be things, and we're going to talk about this more, some things that maybe you've been carrying in your life for a long time. And I don't want to make it seem that if you just read a couple of verses that it's all going to be easy. Look, I do believe that when you have a struggle in your life, be it physical or mental, emotional, there's healing that God can bring in an instant. Do you believe that? I believe that the Holy Spirit can come in and he can transform us in an instant. Sometimes healing comes in an instant and sometimes it comes in a process. And I don't know why the difference, but God does and so I trust him. But he has said that Jesus has done this for us. In fact, one other passage of scripture, Colossians chapter three, verse one, Paul says, since then you have been raised with Christ Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Listen to this, because this is powerful. He's talking to those who have committed their lives to Christ. Jesus is their Savior and their Lord, and he says, for you died. He's not talking in a physical sense. He's talking about we died to ourselves. We died in a spiritual sense. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Do you know what the opposite of shame is? It's glory. And God says that when Jesus died for you and you surrendered your life to him because he's alive, the sinful, guilty, fearful, shame filled part of you died. And instead, you got the living life of Jesus Christ. You traded in your shame for his glory. That's a pretty good deal, right? And we have to remind ourselves of that. We have to come back to that, that my identity is not necessarily driven by my guilt, fear, and shame. My identity comes in the fact that I have died and now I'm alive in Jesus Christ. And I need to remind myself mentally and physically that I'm living out that identity. I was in the store the other day and I rounded the corner and there was a family from the church and we were talking and this guy, he, he, was, he was decked out in his gear. He had his team's hat on, he had his team's shirt on and I was happy because he had chosen the right team. I don't want to cause anybody shame. So um, and I said to him, man, you're decked out today. And he was like, why not? That's my team. We'll do that with our sports teams. We'll do that with the groups that we belong to. We'll wear those shirts. If you visit somewhere far away, you go on vacation, there's a good chance you might come back with a, with a hat or a sweatshirt from that place, right? Because you broadcast, this is a part of who I am. We need to do that same thing with our identity in Jesus Christ, that we've traded in our shame for his glory. Look, before this service is over, we're, we're gonna sing a song called Who you say I am. Let me read you some of these lyrics. It says, I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, God, not against me. I am who you say I am. Because who the Son sets free is free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. That'll make you stand up a little taller, won't it? Like, that's a good word, and for some of you, you don't need to sing that today. You need to actually believe that today, that when we sing that, you say, goodbye, guilt, farewell, fear, sorry, shame, I'm a child of God, yeah, I am, because the, the last thing we'll look at kind of pours out all those other things, four voices that we all hear in our heads sometimes. There's guilt, there's fear, there's shame. Here's the last one, number four. Let's call it brokenness. Today, we'll just call it brokenness. Where are you, Adam? Well, I heard you coming, and it scared me because I was naked. He says, so I hid. Like, isn't that ultimately what it comes down to? We try to get away from it. We try to hide. When our... When our dog, Samson, was, was little, we, we, we crate trained him, right, so that he would, he would go in there when, when we were leaving the house, and okay, that, was, that was like his little, he had this crate, this cage-looking thing, it was like his, his little house. And it was good for him to have that, because if we left him alone, he would do bad things. Like, he's older now, so he's, he's more mature like me, but he started out just doing bad things. Like, you couldn't leave a stick of butter out on the counter, because he would find it and he would eat it. I remember the morning I got up and there was all this plastic on the floor and I realized he had found a package of bagels and ate the whole thing overnight. We, we, were, we were out of town and brought back some, some fudge, pound and a half of fudge for family. Samson thought it was for him. It's a good thing he has a stomach like an Avenger because he just, I mean, it did not phase this guy. And I can remember there's been times like where I've walked in the room and he like just kind of looks up And all that's left is like the plastic wrapper of whatever he just devoured. And I would just go, what did you do? And he literally would look at me and go. And he would just walk right in that crate. Just go right, I didn't say go to your, he would just do it. And he would look up at me and he would go, Chad, I heard you coming. And I was afraid because I was eating bagels. So I hid. Right? That's what he does. (laughs) If my dog does that, I guarantee you, you do that. Right? It's it's our natural response. You think of the journey that Adam and Eve have been on. They went from garden to guilt, from fellowship to fear. They went from heaven on earth to shame-filled isolation, and what is their natural response? <laughs> we better hide. We need to get away from our sin. We need to get away from our Creator. And they end up hiding from God. Look, I searched for the right word for this. I, I, I'm still not sure that brokenness is the right word here because, because just, I'm not so sure what's adequate. Like I thought about, is this separation and isolation? Is this like exile and punishment? Is it, is it guilt, fear, and shame kind of all wrapped up in one? But I landed on this idea of brokenness because we have this tendency in our society that when something is broken, we put it aside in some way or another. Right, If something is broken, we live, especially right now in this society, where so many times rather than repair something, we'll just buy another, don't we? And if something is broken, we either discard it or we're filled with shame about it, and so we try to hide it. And we not only do that with our stuff, We do that with our lives. So if there's something broken inside of me, I'm going to push that off to the side. And if I think you're going to catch that broken part of me, then I don't want you to see it. I don't want you to know what's going on inside of me. I hide it because I feel shame. That's our natural tendency. We We try to discard what's broken. The interesting part is then that begins to affect us in our jobs, and it begins to affect us in our relationships, and it begins to affect us in our life with God. I remember being probably in, I must have been like sixth, seventh grade, something like that, junior high years. I remember I was walking into lunch one day, and, and you'd, you'd walk kind of it was a big multi-purpose room that we had. Tables were all out. Kids were eating lunch. And I remember I was walking down the, the wall to go into the, the, the food service part of the cafeteria area. And as I was walking down the hall, somebody yelled out from one of the tables, Hey, Noah, when's the flood coming? I had no idea what they were talking about. I'd been in Sunday school all my life. I thought they were calling me a man of righteousness. (laughs) Then somebody clued me in. I must have had a growth spurt because as Noah was walking down the hall, his pants were up like this. Hey, Noah, like it's kind of stylish to do this kind of thing now, isn't it? Some people got their pants like this. I've never been able to pull off anything like this. Hey, Noah, when's the flood coming? I was like, what? Why are your pants so short? Oh. And all of a sudden, junior high me felt really bad about how he looked. And if you want to talk about guilt and fear and shame, I got into that food service area and back out so I could sit down at a table as quick as I could so people wouldn't see, so I could hide that. The other day, I was putting on a pair of pants, and I looked down, and they were like a little higher than I remembered them being. I thought, man, either they're shrinking or I'm growing. And you know what came in my head right away? Hey, Noah, when's the flood coming? I did this all day, like that day. I was just kind of pushing my pants down. Because that thing just still stays in your head And you'll do anything to try to get away from it. It's this broken part of us. Can I tell you that's exactly what the enemy of your soul wants? Because the enemy loves to set us up to self-destruct. Isn't that what he did to Adam and Eve? He didn't put the apple in their mouth, but he sure set them up to go there. Know this, that the enemy of your soul loves to set us up to self-destruct because the enemy loves to separate us from God to get us away from what is healthy and right in our lives. Which is tough because we often hide from the very thing we need the most. So many times, if we wanna deal with that guilt and that fear and that shame and that brokenness, what we need is not to find some tree to hide behind, we need to run to some tree where our savior died. But so many times, we hide from the very thing that we need the most. That's why some of you look at your life and you go, I don't deserve to be in a good relationship because you're so filled with shame. And you look at things that are unfulfilling in your life and you say, I'll, I'll never see my dreams come true because those voices keep telling you there's fear. When I talk about being in right relationship with God, some of you, you even kind of just pass that off because you say, I'm just way too guilty. Look, you have to come to terms with this. You see this book right here? It didn't take us but three chapters to mess things up. Did you realize that? By chapter three, man has lost relationship with God. And then the whole rest of this book is about how God goes to great lengths to get that relationship back. That's what this book is all about. That's what your life is all about. The Bible is the story of how man lost relationship with God and then how God went to great lengths to get it back. You know how you get it back? First, acknowledge your brokenness and then recognize that brokenness is only restored when we return to the creator. It's only when we recognize the only way that I'm gonna deal with this guilt and the only way I'm gonna deal with this fear and the only way I'm gonna deal with this shame and the only way I'm gonna be able to deal with this brokenness, brokenness is only restored when we return to the creator. And you say, can I? And God says, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 21, for since death came through a man, that's Adam, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. Who's that, anybody know? <laughs> Jesus Christ. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Here's the good news. Jesus made a way. And he's calling to some of you right now. And he wants you to know that he loves you. And he cares for you. And he doesn't want you to be distracted by anything in this moment. Because he wants you to know that the only way your brokenness will ever be restored is for you to come back to him as your creator. I wanted to put a bow on this whole thing. Kind of come up with a a story that would pull us all back in and help it to make sense. And I couldn't think of a story better than the one that Jesus told. Luke chapter 15, he, he talks about a guy who had two sons one of them says, Dad, I really don't want to live here anymore, so will you give me everything that's mine, and I'm going to go live life the way I want to live it. This is how the Bible tells us it ends up, Luke chapter 15, verse 17. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father... I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. Do you hear what I heard in that? I heard guilt, and I heard fear, and I heard shame, and I heard a guy who came to terms with his brokenness. And then Jesus tells us this. Verse 20, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him And he ran to his son, and he threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Can you see the dad? He's going, hey, 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 buddy, 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 stop, 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 stop right there. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And everybody said, amen, I'm hungry. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead because of guilt and fear and shame and brokenness, and he's alive again. He was lost and is found, so they began to celebrate. I like that story, don't you? So would you stand with me, and we're going to celebrate this truth, whether you're here in Auditorium One. Or you are watching an auditorium too, or you're looking on a screen somewhere. We have a lot to celebrate, because we have a father who says, "In your brokenness, you come to me." And I won't send you away. We're going to sing this song that says, "Who the sun sets free is free indeed." And I'm going to challenge you not to just sing it, but that you would make it a declaration that you are a child of God, Father, as we sing this song. We're reminded. That when voices are in our head that lead us to a point of brokenness, you remind us that we are chosen and not forsaken, that we are who you say we are. So Father, as we sing this, would you bring freedom? Would you bring your love? Would you bring your life to us in this moment as we make this song our prayer of declaration? In Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I was lost, but he brought me in. Oh, his love for me. Oh, his love.
0: your heads and close your eyes right where you are in this moment God's word is always timeless sometimes in our lives it's timely some of you needed to hear a message today about guilt fear and shame and brokenness and know that there's a father who loves you so much that no matter what, He's waiting for you to come to Him for restoration. Some of us just need to hear that so that we have ammunition to silence the voices in our heads. But there's others of us that we needed to hear that today because there's a, there's a step that we need to take. Sometimes we refer to it as, as crossing the line of faith. It's that moment when you say, God, I can't do this on my own anymore. I recognize my brokenness, and I I need to step over. I need to take a step of faith and trust in you. We believe that Jesus lived a life without sin. He died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. That's why we look to him as our Savior. they put him in a tomb and on the third day he rose again and he lives today to give our lives purpose and meaning and direction and that's why we call him our lord and it may be that today and and maybe god's been leading you up to this point you're standing in this room you're watching this on a screen somewhere god's been leading up to this point right now your heart's pounded and you know this is a moment when i've got to recognize that it's time for me slip over in the passenger seat and to give Jesus the steering wheel of my life. Say, God, I trust you with my life. If you'd say, today I need to begin or I need to begin again a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, if that's you, would you just raise your hand? Raise your hand and put it right back down. It's not between you and me, it's between you and God. And you would say, God, today I need to begin or I need to begin again a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I can't do it on my own anymore. God, I give my life to you. Possible. Anybody else? want to lead us in a prayer and if you know Jesus as your Savior and Lord or if today you want to begin that relationship with him, would you pray this prayer with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus, for sending your Son to die for my sin. I ask that you'd forgive my sin. Jesus be my Savior. I surrender my life to you. Be my risen Lord in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, look, if you prayed that prayer today, that's the most important prayer that you can ever pray. There's a card on the shelves as you leave the auditorium that that says, I have decided. I'd encourage you to pick up one of these. Stop by our Connection Center in the atrium on the way out. There's friends there who would love to pray with you. We have a Bible and and a book we want to give to you to help you to understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Maybe, and even because of today's message, maybe anybody, you, for whatever reason, you would just like for somebody to pray with you. I hope you'll stop by our Connection Center. Our team there would love the opportunity to take your need to God with you and believe in faith with you. Let me pray for you before we go. Father, thanks for your word. Thank you that you are our creator who restores our brokenness. That you're a father that welcomes us home. Lord, help us to live in that. And when these voices in our heads start speaking up, that we would silence them with truth from your word. Now, Lord, as we go from here, we ask that you'd go with us. Would you send us out with your special favor and with your wonderful peace? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. See you next Sunday.